this engine, a high bypass turbofan jet engine, this is the engine that is on all military takers and all commercial carriers, is in essence a jet powered fan. 90% of the air that moves through this engine is non-combusted. This engine by design is nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. And again, and we have film footage of aircraft flying at altitude with nozzles visible, turning on and off. That is the end of the argument. Since even before man could fly, there was an effort to try to modify the weather. We have weather modification patents going back a hundred years plus. Pardon me. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I'm very excited to have this guest on, somebody that I've been a, been a big fan of for a very long time and somebody who's been ahead of one of the most obvious deceptions of like the last century, for, that's more ahead of anybody else that I've seen. And this is Dane Wigington of Geoengineering Watch here to discuss geoengineering in general, climate change, how it overlaps and the Great Reset direction. How are you, Dane? It's great to have you on the show. Good, Ryan. Pleasure and honor to be here. Appreciate all your work for so many years now and that you're doing so much to pull back the curtain. It's a team effort. Thank you. I really appreciate that, man. And you, you've been doing this. Like, I really want people to appreciate how long you've been doing this and how far ahead, you know, a topic that interestingly enough is still deemed conspiracy theory. And we'll get into how ridiculous that really is, but the, you know, it's, the information has been there and you've been doing an outstanding job and keeping up on the, as, as it evolves and showing what, what it's been used for. And so I wanted to invite you on today because this, I mean, my, my audience is aware of this topic and aware of how, all the, you know, the, the surface level points we make about how obvious it is, Brennan, Harvard, you know, that we can see that this is something that's ongoing, but that a lot of people today, because of the COVID-19 illusion, because of what's going on, I mean, even Ukraine situation, their narratives are kind of falling apart today and people are beginning to sort of open their minds, open their eyes to things that they might not have thought about before. And I thought this is an excellent time to bring Dane on to discuss these things for people that are thirsty for that information. And so I kind of wanted to start with you kind of like a rudimentary understanding of, of, of geoengineering, you know, the, the difference between that cloud seeding, the aerosol injection kind of concept and, and, you know, weather modification, how that started, you know, so wherever you want to begin with that for somebody who's new to the topic and want to understand where it came from. Well, certainly it's understandable why those in power would want to control the natural systems because it's a method by which they can wage war without populations ever even understanding they're under assault. When we look at all people, I think, Ryan, we, we do not agree, recognize and accept that there are weather modification programs. They're well publicized. They're approved by states, governments. That's well known and accepted, right? What's profound is that people then somehow shut down at the notion that governments would carry out these kinds of operations on a scale that's exponentially larger. In fact, a scale that's so much larger that it negates all of the local, regional, 
weather mod programs, which at this point are used simply for distraction to make people think mm. that it's some small scale thing that's relatively benign. Uh, a single engine propeller driven aircraft distributes maybe a few kilos of material into the clouds. When in reality, we have, for example, a KC-135 U.S. military tanker can distribute 100 tons of highly toxic nanoparticles into the sky in one payload. We've extrapolated on precipitation tests, working for one of the world's most recognized agricultural institutions, that it is likely something in the range of 60 to 70 million tons are being sprayed into our skies annually. So to break this down, the stated premise of solar radiation management, to use jet aircraft to spray toxic light scattering particles into the sky to block some of the sun's incoming thermal energy to slow down the warming of the planet with virtually no consideration of the consequences of doing so. Mm -hmm. Well, and so in, so their stated purpose is to stop global warming, even though the previous narrative was that it was cooling and so on. And that's the, the, so what, I mean, what's the logic behind why they think that this is the step to take now. And I do want to kind of start on where, you know, where this began, even if it's brief, because I want people to understand your, I, I, I will, the clip we play in the beginning, by the way, is your great documentary, the dimming, which I, I will in the show notes, highly recommend everybody check it out because I, I mean, just the beginning parts that I clips that I played there, it's really fascinating to see, even going back to the biplane example you use and how it's been done for quite a long time. So I'd like, you know, let's get into that a little bit, but let me know what, what's their narrative here on why, this is the right step now, despite how that's disputed in a, in a very large way amongst even the government discussion. Yeah, they're pretending they haven't been already at it for 75 plus years. Right. Catastrophic right. results. In regard to the previous cooling narrative that we saw in the 70s, it's important to understand the history of these programs to understand why that narrative ever surfaced. Mm-hmm. They deployed climate engineering initially most heavily over the polar regions immediately after World War II. Now, that appears to have had a statistical profound effect initially, which leveled off the warming that was becoming very protracted up to World War II based on all statistical data we have. The climate science community, of course, was not aware that these operations were taking place over the polar regions, which was skewing the weather, which was artificially and temporarily. I want to stress that it's... When you apply something like this, it has an initial temporary effect until the negative consequences kick in. So by the 70s, the climate science community didn't understand or at least was pretending not to understand why the the warming had leveled off. And so you see narratives in large publications in the 70s. We don't know why it's not still warming. Maybe we're entering an ice age and that sort of um, dialogue, if you will. But then the negative consequences began to manifest much more severely. The warming increased uh, began to go straight up again by 1998, which was the warmest year ever recorded up to that point in time. Climate engineering operations were radically ramped up. The only thing the military industrial complex knows how to do is to double down on their insanity. They mm-hmm. just do more. So that's where the term climate change came into play too, Ryan. 1998, when they knew they were going to be applying these programs with such ferocity that they were going to be causing massive weather whiplash events, exactly like what we see now it goes from 80 degrees to snow in a day. That's not nature. That's climate engineering. So they needed the climate change term so people wouldn't question that kind of weather whiplash. So again, there's been an evolution of this going back over three quarters of a century. And the bottom line is when we have such irrefutable proof that people can see with their own eyes, why is there still 
so much denial on this. And again, people simply mm-hmm. don't want to believe it. And, and the reason we focused on it so much at Geoengineering Watch, Ryan, is because whatever else we can hide from, whatever threats we can hide from, we have to breathe. If they're putting this much toxic material into our skies, we're sucking up with every breath. That's a fight for life. Absolutely. I have so many questions to get into in nano discussion and how that overlaps. But I, I want to first of all, are, are we going the earlier discussions going back to the 70s? Were they still talking aluminum and barium, that kind of discussion? Or is it, has that changed? You know, what, no. what, what are they using then? What, what were they using then? What are they using now? And, you, you know, do you know the difference? We can't know what they were using then mm-hmm. definitively because we don't have any testing from that era. We began to test in about 2003 and the aluminum in the rain has gone up steadily and other elements have appeared. We now we know we have graphene in the rain as well. So aluminum, barium, strontium, polymer fibers, manganese, graphene. So this is an ongoing experiment in a state of flux. And mm-hmm. they those that are carrying these experiments out have virtually no regulation, no oversight, no environmental impact, anything to worry about. They do whatever they want because they can same as detonating nuclear bombs in the atmosphere. Was there anybody to tell them they couldn't? No. Right. Great so, point. and again, and they also understand that the planet can't support the population that's here any longer. Life support systems are breaking down. They've been the most responsible. They being those who behind these programs, ultimately the money printers. So they know all too well how severe the situation is. So at this point is this would appear to be much more than just weather modification when we have the world's second most recognized climate engineer stating on the record that what he did for the Department of Defense was to design ways of creating pathogens to spray into clouds to infect the populations below. We have Italian researchers that have found CB19 attached to airborne particulates. We have 85 countries that were infected with CB19 in three days. That would indicate aerial dispersion. They can do whatever they want. Absolutely. There's so much to get into there. Before we get into that, obviously, really important point you, you, you went over there that, you know, whether or not the, the fact of using this, this kind of problem reaction solution situation to then disperse something that can be used in the same way. Are you what you're saying there essentially for somebody who hasn't seen your, your work that they potentially created or are creating the thing they're pointing at when they say climate change and using that as the justification to continue the program? Like, so their nope. actions caused what they're pointing at today or how, go ahead. No, not, not saying that it's a very complex situation and it, mm-hmm. it's important to understand any form of human activity that affects the energy balance of the planet is a problem. We're mm-hmm. utilizing now a hundred million barrels of carbon fuel a day. And that absolutely has an, a, an impact on the planet. We're poisoning the oceans. We're cutting down forests. We're paving the planet. All of that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Climate engineering, the intentional intervention in Earth's life support systems is the biggest problem of all in that it prevents the planet from responding to the damage done. Climate okay. engineering, destroying the ozone layer, toxifying soils and waters so the forest can't respond to the damage done. It can't try to uptake more carbon by producing more foliage because of these elements. It destroyed ozone layer, frying, frying the forest from the top down. Mm-hmm. So again, climate engineering has... It's like a straitjacket on the planet's ability to respond to the damage done. So I want to make clear that we at geoengineeringwatch.org recognize that the human race, our species, has been extremely poor stewards of the planet. But climate intervention operations are the most egregious example of that of all. And if if we don't stop that and assess where we're at planetarily, then if we continue on the current course, again, based on statistics, 
we're not going to be around long, Ryan. And that's, I know that's a very bitter pill to swallow, but that's a statistical mathematical certainty on the current course. Well, it's interesting throughout the history, typically, you know, it's, not surprising to see that their solution is the exact thing that seems to be driving us towards extinction, which is kind of how historically government solutions go. But so I want to go back to that point one more time though. So it's interesting. So so you're saying that it's essentially their actions, whether or not we can point out that it was by choice to cause what happened are the reason this is happening. I still argue. Go ahead. They're making a bad situation worse. Right. Couldn't you argue there's a point of intention there? Like maybe there was an intention to do that for some reason. I just, is that, is that yes. possible you'd argue? Okay. Oh, I'm not arguing that. I mean, okay. it's, I want to make that clear. We, we fully agree on that. There is nothing benevolent about climate engineering. I want to make that crystal clear. This is about power and control. They know about the negative consequences. It's about masking the severity of the issue while at the same time, making it worse while at the mm-hmm. same time using weather as a weapon, both biological and, and militarily. So again, there is nothing benevolent about these programs, nothing whatsoever. And they are so committed to this now, and even the so-called climate science community, for them to now admit and acknowledge that these programs have been going on for 75 years is to admit that they are criminally negligent of the very field of expertise that we are told they have been trained for. And, mm-hmm. and again, they, they seem to be willing to double down on their denial as well for a paycheck and a pension. So the bottom line is this is a runaway train of near-term planetary omnicide. Climate engineering is is laying waste to the planet's remaining life support systems. And that's why we focused on it so completely at geoengineeringwatch.org. It's the biggest hole in the bottom of the boat. If we don't plug that hole, all of the causes, all of the concerns will very soon become moot. Hmm. Yeah, well said. And I, I, I definitely do see an element of don't let a good crisis go to waste in this again, whether even if, you know, on top of whether there's people intentionally driving a problem to create the need for a justification here. But I want to ask you something about before we get into the overlap to COVID you pointed out there, which I'm just really fascinated about pre let's just say 2019, 2020 up, you know, from let's just say the seventies or as far back as it goes, have you seen any evidence of dispersal of like not necessarily nanoparticulate nanoparticles, but specifically nanotechnology, like smart dust kind of stuff. Because I've, I've, all, I've, I've been very interested in the, the, I don't see why that wouldn't have been attempted with the history of the way they've experimented on the population, knowing that's been possible since what, like 2010 and before, like, yeah. you know, the kind of size that's a tenth of a, the size of a piece of paper, you know? So have you seen the evidence of that? Actually, in, in regard to nanoparticulates, you can fit about 75,000 across the width of a single piece of paper. They're they're inconceivably small, 60 to 100,000 across the width of a human hair. Would they experiment with this technology? Certainly. What would stop them? We know as of 1977, based on publications in the Washington Post, that there had been at least 239 open-air biological tests conducted by the U.S. military against U.S. populations without their knowledge or their consent. How many have been done since? How many more were done even as of that time that we weren't told about? Uh, they do whatever they want, and the population is suffering the consequences while they seek the latest iPhone or whatever distraction that they're pursuing. And all this is happening. Again, This is um, we have to focus on the fact that we face an oncoming train, all of us, and turning our back to that train won't alter the outcome at all. So, uh, again, we're back to... The total ramifications of what's happening in our skies, not just weather warfare, not just 
biological warfare. It's, it's, they're clearly targeting crop production right now, Ryan. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. The consistency with which we see the targeting of agricultural production, whether flooding or droughting it out, flash freeze, massive hailstorms, ag regions are being wiped out. And if we go back to the, the beginning of our weekly broadcast updates, we do a geoengineeringwatch.org, the global alert news hour, commercial free, non-political. We're on 16 stations around the country. The beginning of that broadcast every week shows, and you've seen this, I'm sure, Ryan, President Lyndon Johnson ranting like a lunatic and claiming that we had the power to control the world's cloud layer then. And that's in 1962 when he was still vice president and quote, he who controls the weather controls the world. So let's, let's expand that a bit. He who controls the weather controls food production, thus controls populations, thus controls the world. I, these dots are easy to connect. Mm-hmm. If people would simply get past programming and bias and the official narrative, that just, this is just quote conspiracy theory. Even though we have the white house acknowledging we may have to dim the sun to slow warming. We, I sent you that article this morning. Right. I know you saw that and it's, they're getting closer to the truth simply because they can't hide it, not because they want to tell it. Yeah, I mean, I th- and this is just really, I, I was joking with you on via email, like, but, but yet we're still crazy for talking about this. You know, like, it's, it's amazing the, the cognitive dissonance when these things are being publicly stated. And, and since you bring that up, I'll, I'll play the other surface level connected points to this that I was going to discuss just basically very quickly. Sure. So as you can see for the podcast, it says the White House admits it. We might need to block the sun to stop climate change. It's just unreal that's even be discussed. I mean, I always point out that even if they genuinely think that's the right move, historically speaking, their malfeasance, their incompetence, and whether or not they could just go, oops, accidentally kill all of the human species. Obviously, that's possible, right? I mean, it's just mind-blowing, but you can go back even further, and here's Harvard's solar geoengineering research program. This is not new, you know? And and then, I, then of course, we can play the discussion that everybody, you know, the, a lot of the average people w- were first introduced to this, which is Brennan speaking about this. From having significantly Correct. And, portions yeah. of retired okay. people and older people relative to working age citizens. Another example is the array of technologies, often referred to collectively as geoengineering, that potentially could help reverse the warming effects of global climate change. I mean, and that's good enough to leave it there. Their argument, of course, is that, well, he was saying it's just something we're thinking about for the future. I, I, I argue either way that reveals the point. I mean, they could pretend they haven't been doing it despite all the evidence, but either way, it's not some tinfoil hat ridiculous concept the way it's framed today. And that still shows you the same picture, I argue. It, I would completely agree. And if you have a chance to air the uh, short President Johnson clip, I'm not sure if you have that handy, but I can try to uh, find it. Keep going. That's 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 something very important for people to watch, uh, to see that that was where we were at then. And the notion that it hasn't come unimaginably farther since. Let's look at the the hurricane suppression program for the U.S. military started in 1947, Project Cirrus. So, again, um, the obvious desire of the U.S. military industrial complex, all militaries, to use the weather as a weapon is obvious. And even in our film, we have... In the dimming, we have two U.S. Air Force generals acknowledging these programs, but there's so much compartmentalization that many people involved with certain aspects of operations like this don't know what they're doing or, or what, they're, what the full picture is. They're, they're kept out of the loop, if you will, but at this point, it shouldn't be hard to connect. When you look up, Ryan, and you can see grid patterns in the sky one day, nothing the next. I mean, at some point, a sense of region should kick in and say something's going on up here. And in regard to the rate of the die-off, I live in a, a 
very remote section of forest in Northern California that was thriving 15 years ago. It's deafeningly silent now. Everything is dying. Insects, birds, bears, bees. Uh, it's, it's shocking. And this is, this is across the globe. The I-5 corridor in California, which is the freeway that goes through all the agricultural regions, they're tearing orchards out with excavators. They're dead. They're cutting off our moisture here to California. We can see it on satellite imagery, we can see them blocking the storm trap from, from coming into the Western US again and again and again. We're 500 inches of rain short where I live since 2007, 500. Uh, again, what does it take to wake people up, Ryan? We're, we're yeah. about to hit the wall at full velocity. We don't have decades. And on the current course, statistically, mathematically, uh, we're unimaginably close to hitting the wall. Interesting. Yeah. And I think the important part, I think I do actually think that right now people are more than I've ever seen before, at least might be my optimistic opinion. And that's, you know, kind of the purpose of this in general is to maybe give them the path to seek. So I think people right now are very thirsty, but they just don't know where to look. They've kind of freshly woken up from realizing that they've been lied to about a lot of things in their life and they're really desperate to find this stuff. So I think it's important. Glad we're having this conversation. Uh, you, you mentioned could, could you go to the point of specifically chemtrails, contrails, and describe for people what, you know, because you make a point in your video that, you, you know, and this is important to understand that this is not, you've proven this, right? There's undeniably proven that this is happening and it's not condensation and so on. So would you go over that for me for the average person? Yeah, we have. And I, I stress for your audience to, again, not to believe me, but mm -hmm. we, when we have film footage, up close film footage of these aircraft at altitude, nozzles visible, turning spray dispersions on and off into the argument. If people don't believe what they see with their own eyes, there's nothing I can do to convince them otherwise. In regards to the chemtrails term, this is very important. That term is fine for personal conversations, but it is the instant marginalization term when we're dealing with media, elected officials, the so-called academic community. In fact, in science.org magazine, major mainstream science publication, uh, I just covered this on my broadcast yesterday. They did a piece recently that specifically expressed their anger and angst that sites in the quote chemtrail community, which we're not, we, we stick to science terms completely, but they were angry that we were using the science terms. They felt that wasn't mm -hmm. fair. They felt that uh, somehow that skewed the equation. And, and that alone makes clear that we are playing chess well by sticking to the science terms when that angers them and when they want us to stop using the science terms because they can't marginalize those terms. So when someone goes to look up this issue, if they search geoengineering, solar radiation management, stratospheric aerosol injection, cloud albedo enhancement, climate engineering period, they're going to, going to find science data and not mm -hmm. conspiracy theory and hoax as is connected with the Kim's trails term, which there's no scientific basis for other than Dennis Kucinich, including the term in a, legislation attempt 20 years ago so again we're playing chess we need to play well right. and if we do we can move this fight forward great point great point and so I mean, the, the simple reason that i went to the term is the opposite of the contrail so a contrail versus something that has yes. some kind of in, something into it yes so would you explain for people what that you know that how you've proven that or how it's yes. been proven and the difference and you are correct. It is a very descriptive term. I'm not arguing the term in that yeah. regard. It is fine for personal conversation. So the difference. Right. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dane. Absolutely. It's important that we, I, I often say in my show, just we have to be, be better than the corporate yes. media, than the government, you know, take yes. that extra step. Go ahead. Yes, exactly. So what we're seeing is our particulate dispersion, very, very different than quote condensation. These are particulates. So when we see 
for example, a documentary of researchers or explorers in Antarctica and their breath is condensing, do we see a cloud hanging over their head that mm-hmm. keeps getting bigger and bigger and expanding? Of course we don't. That's not what condensation does. So this is a sprayed particulate, just like you see in an air show when they're spraying smoke particulates, it leaves trails everywhere. It's the same scenario. Right. And again, we know that because we have lab tests from all over the globe, precipitation tests that all contain these elements named in climate engineering patents. And the effect of these particulates is incredibly profound in that people should stop and, and consider that when you can watch time-lapse footage of these jet aircraft just making their dispersions that fans out and eventually covers the entire horizon, how could that not affect everything? Mm-hmm. And how much material does it take to block the entire horizon, all of which is settling down on us into soils, into waters? So much metal has fallen, Ryan, that here in Northern California, in my forest at home, I, I have the USDA baselines for soils pH testing in our region going back to the 40s. And the soils pH values in my region here have, have changed 10 to 12 times toward alkaline because there's so much material in the rain that's an inconceivable amount of material to change soil ph values that far it's mm-hmm. highly toxic rain so wonder anything's alive but the forest is dying literally by the day every every single fir for- tree in this forest is either dead or dying it's happening across the globe uh, and, and again this is not damage you can just turn off once you stop these programs i mean we, we've done right. cat- catastrophic uh damage to the entire ecosystem so the bottom line is, this is not condensation. This is a sprayed particulate trail, period. I mean, it, what's what's incredible to me, though, you know, you're, you're talking about, again, I just have to reiterate to people, whether or not it's the was always the plan, there's an obvious example there of right now using the destruction they have caused or are causing to justify what happens next. I just think that's incredible, and we can see it everywhere today. So I just think that's not it's such an important point for people to think about. But you don't need to look any further, in my opinion, than the aluminum itself. And for instance, in the UK, leading cause of death, one of them being dementia or Alzheimer's and that being a direct cause of things like aluminum. And yet they're yeah. publicly spraying it in the air. Like, you, like you're, to your point, you don't need to. It's right in front of you. The dots connect themselves. It's just about being willing to look at this stuff. It's it's right there. It is. And let's look at in addition to, yes, leading leading cause of mortality being what they're spraying into our skies and nobody no official anybody's acknowledging it because, and this is important for your listeners to understand as well, all official air quality testing is generally PM10, 10 micron, at best PM2.5, 2.5 microns. Nobody is even testing for, let alone willing to acknowledge the nanoparticle right. part of the equation, all of which goes completely under the radar, not looked for, not tested for, not acknowledged. And they're not testing for specific types of particles, and aluminum is one. I've been in high-level EPA meetings in Sacramento, arranged by a congressional rep, top people, closed-door meeting, told to my face, the entire system is rigged. We're told, meaning them, to test for uh, combustion particulates only. The rest of the samples go out the window. They don't care what's in it. So, again, the entire system is rigged from top to bottom. And if we look at, for example, specific aspects of this situation, let's take the drought in California that's wiping out agriculture. Mm-hmm. We can hang that 100% around the neck of climate engineering. It's important to understand for your listeners, the planet, based on the laws of physics, it must rain more overall on a warming planet. It must, unless there's a factor we're not being told about. That factor is climate engineering. And we see far more protracted drought 
then we see deluge. Yes, there's areas that are being completely deluged. Pakistan is one, a third of the country underwater. They can direct this moisture. Australia, same thing, underwater. But overall, planet, the planetary RH, relative humidity in the atmosphere is going down, not up. That can't happen, again, without a factor we're not being told about. Right. The atmosphere holds 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. We believe, based on frontline data, we are past 3.5 degrees C right now because we see official high temperatures being radically underreported, not overreported. So, again, in the case of California, we can see in satellite imagery them cutting off our precipitation. We have... I, if your listeners look at disseminations we put up almost a decade ago, engineered drought catastrophe, target California, every single thing we said would happen has and is happening. So, again, this is all out weather warfare and issues like the drought and the wildfires as well. We can hang that almost completely around the neck of climate engineering, not climate change, not denying climate change, not denying that the planet is in meltdown and we've been bad stewards. But there are certain aspects of this equation that are most attributed directly to climate engineering and nothing else. And I do want to touch on, let me get into that next. And then maybe before we get into the, the COVID overlap there, but so pre to the COVID-19 timeframe, what was, what do you, what was there stated in their actual, in your opinion, a, a reasoning for doing what they did in California? Was it still just to combat climate change? And, you know, were, were they not, I mean, you go ahead. I mean, it, it just seems so baffling to see that the actions are at the very least not getting better and there, nothing is changing and so on. So, you know, what was their stated, what was their agenda there? Well, they're certainly not trying to make it better. Again, I want to stress mm -hmm. that. And I know you know that mm -hmm. in the case, let's look at the wildfires in the West. We found peer-reviewed science study advocating for the incineration of Northern latitude forests to put enough particulate matter into the air to provide temporary cooling for the polar regions. It's a form of artificial volcano. And that smoke does migrate to the polar regions and can remain aloft for up to two months or more. And again, when you have science study actually advocating for something that insane, where are we? And, and in regard to the fires, again, the source of ignition, that's a completely separate subject. Mm -hmm. Any individual with a match can do that. The important part of the equation is what is setting the template for these fires to burn with such ferocity? And that is climate engineering, not climate change in this case. So the IPCC is the largest scientific panel on any subject in human history. That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, 2,000 plus climatologists. I have their manuals here going back to 95. The greatest increase in precipitation in the whole lower 48 was supposed to occur exactly where I live. That's why I moved here based on that modeling that did not include climate engineering. So the exact opposite has happened. And that happened because of climate engineering, cutting off our precipitation. So back to the fires in the West. Geoengineering is cutting off the precipitation. It's poisoning soils, waters. The soil microbiome is dying. The aluminum in the rain affects root systems on the trees. We know that. We have peer-reviewed science study to prove that. They shut down nutrient uptake. So the beetles killing the trees, Ryan, is simply a symptom of these other factors. So we have also the destruction of the ozone layer, which is most directly linked to climate engineering, not hairspray cans. Mm -hmm. So we have that frying the trees from the top down. We have an incendiary dust. Aluminum is an incendiary. When you coat the entire forest foliage and forest floor with these metals, that's an incendiary dust. That's and we have, more, we have more dry lightning now because these particles are electrically conductive. Mm -hmm. And they create a great deal of friction and static buildup in the atmosphere 
while they're diminishing rain. So we have much more dry lightning from, from every conceivable direction. Climate engineering is the core causal factors for, factor for the massive incinerations all over the globe. And we actually have the climate science community advocating for those incinerations. We found a, a document at, mil, at, at geoengineeringwatch.org. We found a U.S. military document stating wildfires for use as a military weapon, which is alarming enough mm-hmm. that actually outlines exactly the types of processes I just mentioned to prepare a forest for intense incinerations. But what's more alarming about this U.S. military document is specific regions were studied for the application of these techniques in the U.S., including Mount Shasta, including regions all over the country. Why would they have studied that so many years ago? What sort of incredible malevolence is there in this equation? It's profound. So the bottom line is we can speculate about the various agendas and objectives, but the fact that climate engineering is wreaking havoc all over the globe, toxifying every breath we take, destroying agriculture, destroying the ozone layer, there's no arguing that, not scientifically. I agree. I agree. Let me, let me ask it very simply here. In, I, I mean, I, I have, we haven't even discussed whether, because, you know, in my opinion, a lot of what is around the conversation of climate change today is a manipulation. Not that we're not destroying the planet in a lot of different ways, but that there's a there's a political agenda wrapped up in that. So regardless of you know whether we agree on that, I guess the question for you in this case was, do, in, from your view, do you think that what we're seeing today that's being called climate change would be happening at all without what they have been doing over the years? Certainly. Again, yeah. it's... And we do agree on the political agenda part. There's no question about that. We completely agree. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which they are, are, are conducting weather warfare, a hurricane, most recent examples, Hurricane Ian, Hurricane Nicole. We hope to have a post up later today that will outline what was done with Hurricane Nicole that's directly linked to the massive cool down in the U.S. today. And that's important to understand that we have people looking at the type of event that's happening in the U.S. right now, the massive cool down and saying, look, that proves that the planet's not warming. That cool down is a direct result of climate engineering operations. So how can we pretend that that's proof that the planet isn't warming when that's climate engineering? So what I'm saying is this, that whatever a person's personal perspective is on the state of the climate, that there is no legitimate discussion of the issue without first and foremost acknowledging the climate intervention operations. And there's processes within those operations called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. Those are patented processes, seeding the cloud moisture with endothermic reacting chemicals, energy absorbing chemicals that create a chemical cool down, a chemically cooled layer of air that descends to the surface, creates unimaginably cold temperatures, creating frozen material, non-naturally nucleated, artificially nucleated, frozen material that's incredibly cold to the touch, much more so than the ambient temperature. So all of these have to be factored into the equation. And if the planet had been allowed to respond on its own, yes, based on all the laws of physics that we know and understand, yes, there would be warming. It can't, the, the, these gases don't just float off into space. They begin to cover the atmosphere. Methane is core to the equation. I'm not talking about cow flatulence. I'm talking about the, the larger sources of methane, methane hydrates and clathrates that have been thawing and ejecting into the atmosphere for decades. But if the planet had been allowed to respond, we would be in far better condition now, as opposed to climate engineering disabling the planet's life support systems. So again, it's a very complex equation. Mm -hmm. And I do fully agree with you that 
political powers use this to try to further specific agendas they have, but that doesn't mean that we don't have a problem. Again, if right. I, I don't right. like I don't that's, like Al Gore. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I, I just that's exactly what I'm trying to get at right there is yeah. that it's because this is this is a really interesting discussion right here that I see in a lot of different fat, uh, conversations where, for instance, in the Great Reset conversation where they're talking about sustainability, but you can pretty easily show that that's not really what they're trying to achieve. But what it ends up doing is people that see the problem of the Great Reset then pretend that sustainability is bad because they talk about it. But that's not the case. Right. It's kind of an illusion. So clearly things that are being done. To your point, largely their own solution causing most of this, it would seem. But regardless, we're still in the position we are and it has to be dealt with. But I, that's kind of one of the questions I wanted to get at. But since we're there, you know, the overlap there, like what would you say to the person that's, that would argue that what we're talking about seems to also kind of march us in the direction of what they're proposing? You know, it, it, what, what, what else should be done as opposed to what they're saying? Because it seems like their solution is just more of the problem, right? It is more of the problem. What's difficult for this in this equation for anyone to accept on any side of the fence is that there is no magic bullet here. Right. We've painted ourselves into an unimaginably dark corner with a paradigm that was never sustainable. And even so-called renewable energy, that's part of my background. I work for Bechtel Power. That's the largest engineering firm in the world. My home is on the cover of the world's largest renewable energy magazine with wind, hydro, and solar power, all of which – and this think about this paradox, Ryan – all three forms, primary forms of alternative energy, climate engineering is decimating. It's blocking direct sunlight, which radically reduces solar power uptake. Interesting. When you cover the entire horizon with these particulates, you affect convection, radically affecting it, which radically affects wind, reducing it radically. We now have what's called wind droughts in many regions. Uh, yes, there's deluges in places and, and massive windstorms in places, but we have we have overall a lessening of planetary wind. It's called global stilling. So we you have global by, by design. Well, certainly you can't do what they're doing and not have these effects. So, it, oh. and I would argue, yes, they are trying to hamper societies in any way they can right now. So they're struggling with problems and can't face the wider horizon. But the paradox in is again, we have, administrations and environmental groups and so many others pushing certain agendas and ignoring climate engineering when they're pushing so-called renewable energy, which isn't renewable. And they're ignoring a factor that is radically hampering all three forms of those alternative energy. Again, it's diminishing direct sunlight radically, reducing solar, diminishing wind overall, and key, as I mentioned earlier, causing protracted drought all over the globe, which radically reduces hydropower production. And that's really the, the most viable form of alternative energy. And we have dams around the globe now that can't produce anything. So again, when we have all these environmental communities ignoring this, they're just protecting their 501c3 nonprofits, right? And we know that. Our attorneys at geoengineeringwatch.org have spoken to attorneys from every major environmental group, none of whom were willing to address climate engineering because they didn't want to lose their 501 nonprofits. And that is the epitome of hypocrisy in my mind, and, and if we have a film called Planet of the Humans, which I believe I sent you a link to, mm -hmm. and that's a very important film to watch. In fact, in that film, at the 40-minute mark, they show a blowing field of sand in the middle of Mojave Desert where the first solar plant of its type once stood. And I worked on that facility in the 80s. And I could see its deficiencies then. And, of course, now it's gone. They just tore it down. 
but it's just a smoke and mirrors to make people think that we have some magic solution to what's to the path we're on. And we don't, Ryan. And climate engineering right. is, is making it all worse from every conceivable direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it'll play here. This is I, what actually upset me about this part of it was the Joshua trees in, in general, how they're tearing yeah. them down yeah. at the same point. But go ahead. Let's get into the, the renewable energy part of this, because I definitely wanted to talk about that. I, I have an interesting question about that. I, can, I wholeheartedly agree with what we can see. That's the image I actually used for the show today was that decrepit, old, broken down windmills, you know, and, and, and yeah. th- 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 to the point that that seems to be kind of this cycle where it's not some ongoing renewable process that they it's just a 10 year cycle, I think is what they said in the, in the, the point in the, in the documentary. But so I'm interested in you to just explain for me and the audience why this is sort of an illusion of renewable energy. But then I also want to ask you to after that. I, get into whether or not it could be viable if done the right way or if it's just a complete lie it, it is a lie in the sense that it's being sold is solar panel power better than for example the outright burning of carbon-based fuel yes it is certainly better but it is by no means renewable for example in the construction of solar panels you have a an element called hexafluorothane, which is 17,000 times more potent to greenhouse gas than CO2. We don't hear anybody talking about that, do we? Right. Uh, the, the lifespan of solar panels, again, there, there's so many other converging factors because climate engineering, this is yet one additional uh, bit of weight on the wrong side of the scale. Climate engineering, as I said, destroying the ozone layer, that's creating massive and intense UV radiation. It's bombarding the entire planet, killing insects, killing plankton, killing plants. And it's degrading solar panels, solar panels that are that are polycrystal panels, which is the majority of solar panels are being degraded very quickly now because of the intense UV radiation. So, uh, again, every reaction that the power structure makes and ultimately for its own purposes is causing such immense downstream effects that it certainly will take them down on the ship with the rest of us. And, and mm-hmm. Ryan, you, you've heard people, I'm sure, respond with this. Why would they do this to themselves? You've probably heard that many times, right? As an excuse mm-hmm. to not that this can't be going on because they wouldn't do this to themselves, right? Right. So again, back to the nuclear bombs, the 2,400 detonations, the uh, Project Starfish Prime, the detonation of the, the hydrogen bombs in the magnetosphere. We have Fukushima a triple nuclear meltdown, no end in sight, no, no technology to fix it. Chernobyl is heading for another re-meltdown. We're building 60 more nuke plants now. There's no sanity in this equation, none. And what I would argue with people, I know everybody's mired in difficulties now with inflation and so forth, but if we don't focus on keeping this boat afloat, all of that won't mean anything. And if we don't stop what's happening in our skies, we have precious little time. If we could expose it and we could stop it and we could allow the planet to respond to the damage done, we would at least buy time. And that's worth fighting for. And everything you're showing now on the screen is, I mean, anybody who thinks that's renewable mm-hmm. uh, needs to recheck the reality. There's nothing renewable about that. It takes an immense amount of hydrocarbon to build a 450 foot tall wind turbine, 45 stories tall with blades 180 feet wide that can't be recycled and are buried in landfills. And those turbines have an immense amount of maintenance issues on them. It's, it's, it's all complete smoke and mirrors, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and I agree with that entirely, but so I guess my question would be, do you think there's a way that it could be done? Let's say it was just not something that's like pushed out for tomorrow, but something that was, let's say take 10 years, 
build the infrastructure and make whether it's wind turbines or solar energy, do it in a way that is done. And I'm, I don't know. I'm not the expert. You know, is there like, for instance, you look at the way the solar um, plans and things in, in other countries and there's uh, or basically there's pollution that goes along with these, not to get too mired in that conversation. And you can see that they're doing it in a raw, I guess, in a way that's counterproductive to put it, to put it easily. But is there a way it could be done to where that wouldn't be happening or that the wind, the, the turbines could be renewable, just it, it, what you understand about it and, and why wouldn't they be doing it that way? Well, ultimately there isn't. I mean, when you have to mine, refine and manufacture all the components that go into these elements. I mean, that, that's still taking something from the planet that takes in many cases, tens of millions of years to rejuvenate. So it, it, you may slow the trajectory of where we're headed, but it, it does not completely diminish it. There's no known technology that's quote unquote renewable at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, again, this is a message that's so hard for people to hear because they've been so well trained to think, well, technology will always fix it. We'll somehow manage to tech our way through everything that's coming. And how, my question is, how's that working out so far? I mean, right. we literally face unimaginably near-term planetary omnicide. And, and, and people near-term, they think, okay, a couple centuries. No, no. Right now in the current trajectory, we face zero hour for no functional wildlife populations on planet Earth in 2026. That doesn't mean nothing would be left. It means there's no functional populations, which means they're functionally extinct. We're losing species right now at the rate of two to 300 a day to extinction, plant, animal, and insect, two to 300 a day. That's a million and a half percent of normal. That cannot, of course, be sustained. And, and, I, and I know people don't want to hear this. So I would argue this, though. Again, it comes down for me I know this is an intense conversation. I'm saying things that nobody wants to hear. But for me, it comes down to this. is why are we here? Why are each of us here? Is, it sim- is life about a personal pursuit of pleasure and not anything else? Especially if we have children. Is our life at that point not about those children? And do we not owe our lives to those children? I would argue, I would argue we do. So yeah. what I would say is if by our combined efforts, if we can bring certain issues to light. And you've done so much to do that. And I so respect and salute you for that, Ryan. Your, your articulate and, and educated voice in, in, in this battle for the greater good has been so immensely helpful. If by our collective efforts, we can push certain issues to light. And I would argue it starts with climate engineering because we cannot hide from that. We can hide from certain medical treatments. We can hide from a lot of things. We have to breathe. We have to breathe what they're spraying. We have no choice. So if we could start by exposing that to populations around the globe, we would trigger a shockwave that could change the flavor of the coming impact. But back to your original question, we could stop all forms of human activity right now, everything. And we are still going to hit the wall. Once you go through the guardrail, you can't just put the brakes on at that point. We are going to hit the wall. But we could, again, alter the composition of that impact if we all stand together focus our priorities prop, priorities properly and starting with stopping what's happening in our skies. And yeah. And I, I think there's, a, there's, it's hard for anybody to disagree with the fact that that's happening, but I understand why people are very, like you said, right now, to my point about the sustainability kind of point there, people mm-hmm. are uh, rightly so very, very skeptical about anything that says 
that's going, you know, that we're, you know, the 2030 agenda, the great reset, all that's hinging on the idea that, that we are heading for a collapse environmentally and that we need to do something about it. But what we're talking about here is that their solution from all these years is the primary reason we're here. And they're only proposing more of that. So I guess to the average person, again, like, what do you say to them when they say that what you're talking about seems like an, another, you know, justifying from a different angle, the same direction, even though, again, I point out that they're saying, let's do more of the same thing, which would only be more problematic. I guess what's the solution in your mind that goes against the Great Reset kind of direction, since that's just more of the same? That's a complex question in that I would first say this. If, if we take Al Gore, I, I, I was going to mention earlier, mm-hmm. um, most of us feel disdain for him as an individual, his hypocrisy. He owns stock in the companies he claims to be fighting. But if Al Gore says it's daytime and it is daytime, should we take the position it's nighttime even when it's not nighttime? Right. And, and again, that's not that's not sound reason. So the, there are real, very real problems here. And the fact that someone's trying to manipulate those problems to their advantage doesn't mean the problems do not don't exist. Exactly. And in regard to a quote solution, that's a huge problem with the human race. They have been well trained to believe, well, there has to be a solution. If there's no solution, don't even bring the problem up to me. If there's no magic solution that says I can live happily ever after, I don't want to hear it. And, and I would argue that's a very sad aspect of what humanity has become. We should care about doing right because it's right, for the sole reason that it's right. And we have to change course right now or our children have zero chance for any future, not just our children, but us. We're talking about planetary homicide in the near term. We, we have triggered feedback mechanisms about 50 plus so far let me give one primary example ryan you know that bermuda triangle the ship sinkings the vessel sinkings for how many decades right mm-hmm. that's methane release from the sea floor the oceans are warming it's destabilizing formerly frozen methane hydrate and clathrate deposits fields on the sea floor when they release they release in their entirety and this massive plume of gas rises through the water column it aerates it like a bottle of champagne would and thus the surface vessel if this happens underneath the surface vessel it has no buoyancy it goes to the bottom intact and and this is not disputed scientific consensus at this point so now we have massive methane releases happening on in in the arctic most specifically if your listeners search siberian methane craters and they can see some of these in the dimming the film the dimming but that's happening on the seafloor especially in the arctic at a scale that's inconceivable that methane rises into the atmosphere because it's lighter than air, starts to cover the planet like a layer of glass, which creates more heating, which creates more methane release, which creates even more heating. Let's look at climate engineering and add that to the equation. Climate engineering in the attempt to mask that problem, which has been created by many sources, including, again, human race consuming 100 million barrels of carbon a day, which is definitely a problem. But climate engineering has exacerbated that problem much worse in the attempt to hide it like a pharmaceutical ryan pharmaceutical cures how many do we see on tv take this for that and here's 50 side effects and you wonder who would who would take that drug right so it's the same mentality so climate engineering they can they can block the sun in specific regions and cool daytime temperatures temporarily but at the cost of a worsened overall warming trapping more heat than they deflect destroying the ozone layer poisoning forests which then takes that part of the planet's cooling ability out of the equation. They can create these temporary toxic cooldowns like they're doing right now in Buffalo and other places. They're streaming air masses across the record warm Great Lakes, picking up the moisture, chemically nucleating it. We can see that happening on radar images, flashes of rain. It'll flash from rain to snow and back as they're dispersing 
elements on top of that moisture. We have a satellite image of a stripe of snow across flat Kansas, 10 miles wide and 300 miles long, a stripe of snow from an aircraft that dispersed materials over that cloud moisture. How hard is that to figure out that that's not nature for people? So again, we have this notion that we can tech our way out of what tech caused it to begin with. And is that not the definition of insanity? We cannot live like this. We have no technology to continue living like this. We will not live like this much longer. And that's a hard nut, to, a hard reality to face, a hard pill to swallow, however you want to describe it. But I would argue, again, there is great solace in facing this head on, acknowledging it and doing everything we can to make a difference. That's the only place, Ryan, I have ever found solace in my life. I agree. I agree. I mean, that nobody should should shy away from doing what they think is right and, and you know, in questioning what they're being told. I, I still I think to that exact point that we're I, I would argue that it's at least possible that like to your to you to what you said before that the world i mean the world the way that these this ecosystem works is it, it the same as the body i would argue that the body is is trained to be able to heal itself right i mean that's how we're not trained but rather it's just that's innate that it heals itself and i think that most yes. of modern medicine is is a lot of counterproductive stuff in a lot of ways i would argue but so if this hadn't been done experiment i'm sorry go ahead I'm, i completely agree go ahead oh, i'm, I'm sorry i thought agree. you were Okay, well, I was going to continue and just say that if we look at the no. the, the conversation yeah, of, of the planet itself, and and ask that if they had not done this experimentation, the the climate and, and geoengineering this entire time, whether or not we would even have this problem. Now, that's not to say we're not polluting and doing all the same things we're doing, but that it just would not be the kind of cataclysmic issue that we currently have. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. You know that in that ultimately it could be. Just like everything else we're seeing, the, the, the very solution being the problem. And I just think that's hard to miss in all of this. And that does not diminish that the people like, I mean, just pointing out masks and gloves and all the garbage that are being used through this last three year process. It's just there's obviously no real interest in the average person in a lot of ways to make a difference. If the government's going, don't worry, we'll just do more of the same thing. Just sit back and let us handle it. Like that's, in my opinion, the biggest problem. But I, unless you, if you have a comment on that, go ahead. I'd like to jump over to the. COVID-19 part of this, because I found that to be really important in where this might have been involved in what just ha- what just happened. If I could elaborate a bit on what mm-hmm. you just stated, and certainly I agree, if climate engineering never been deployed, we would be in exponentially better shape than we are now. That doesn't mean that we would be in uh, a position to continue with what we were doing or that we wouldn't have had massive problems, but we'd, mm-hmm. we'd be in exponentially better shape. And let me give an example to that. If we look at Earth's past epochs, the Pliocene epoch, 5.2 million years ago, the, the carbon counts were significant, significantly higher than they are today. Was California turning into a wasteland, the Western North American continent? Was that turning into wasteland? No, it was thriving because we had much more precipitation, precipitation that wasn't contaminated with these toxic elements. Now, when I say that, though, it's key to understand this. If the carbon counts are changed radically quickly and that's what's happening now and that's key to understand people that think co2 is great you hear people say that's the gas of life the more the better that's not true not when it happens so quickly it water is essential we could we can't live more than two or three days without water right ryan what if you're 10 feet underwater how long you're going to live then so so you have to look at it in that context and organisms cannot adapt this fast we have changed atmospheric chemistry in the geologic blink of an eye can I so ask a question really that, quick, Dane, about that exact yes, point? That's yes. interesting. So so essentially what you're saying is that it's more about the rapid change between the con 
the the amount that's present as opposed to like because there there are a lot of experts and again i'm not the expert in this field that would argue mm-hmm. not and again i agree with you it's not that n- the more carbon the better but rather that ultimately what they're proposing is not the right step because it would hurt human life to remove as much as they're talking about like so where where find me a middle ground there like what what do you think is the correct stance again if we had many millennia to allow carbon to alter itself and organisms to adapt mm. without all the toxins in the rain that are poisoning soils and soil microbiome, destroying the ozone layer. Um, there would be a different outcome, one that we can't know for certain, because again, if it's artificially caused, it's generally has a bad outcome eventually. Mm. But in the case of CO2 and we have other elements that are necessary for those organisms to uptake that CO2 properly. One, they have to adapt and that takes exponentially longer than the time that has been given in this case. Soil nutrients are essential. If there's not enough soil nutrients, the the planet has gone through cyclical patterns, which allowed glaciation, which allowed minerals to be redistributed into soils, which allowed those plants to uptake those minerals and thus uptake more carbon. There's so many Mm -hmm. complexities here that people don't consider when they blurb out a simple statement like CO2 is great, the more the better. It simply doesn't hold water. So when we look at greenhouses that pump in CO2, we hear about that all the time as proof that CO2 is good. They pump it out at night. How many people know that? Mm -hmm. They pump it out at night because the plants have to have a a respite from that. They have to have a a reprieve. So again, it's it's so much more complex than people want to make it. You know, again, we've been trained... As, as a population, you're either on the left or the right. You know, you're either right. on this side or on that side. The world's far more complicated than that, and, and as are these issues. So the bottom line is, as you so correctly stated a moment ago, when you interfere with these unimaginably miraculous and complex natural systems, you are going to get a bad result, period. And we have interfered to a degree that can scarcely be comprehended. And, and we have an intermingling of data and truths. Ryan, you've heard the and seen the articles of the polymer fibers that are showing up everywhere right mm-hmm. we certainly have plastic decomposition i'm not denying that it's it's a horrific problem but we also have polymer fibers specifically named in geoengineering patents as a method to help keep these particles aloft longer like a spider web wow. stays aloft and so that is the more likely origin of polymer fibers that are showing up everywhere from the top of Mount Everest to the North Pole to the South Pole. We know polymer fibers are in the climate engineering spray dispersion. So of course they're going to be everywhere, but that's plausible denial for those in power, isn't it? Blame mm-hmm. it just on the plastic pollution. And the same, they're, they're doing the same thing with a lot of the articles that you've seen recently, Ryan, on particle pollution now causing heart attacks. Cause, yeah. you know, a lot of these recent articles, well, what else is in that particle pollution? And, and what else is causing that medical problem that might be being blamed solely on the particle pollution? We have such a complete yeah. intermingling of truth and falsity, and it's difficult to sort through. But we can say this for certain, and we'll get back to your point then, that being sprayed from the sky with known toxic elements that may contain much more than we even know about, that's a fight for life, a very real near-term fight for life. It's also decimating our crops, our foods, our water killing or destroying the ozone layer is killing plankton. We have a 90% crash in plankton in the Atlantic. Now we think the other oceans are in a similar condition. No plankton, no people. Uh, This is a fight for life. And it sounds like the most obvious first step would be to get them to stop their solution at the moment. Is that fair to say? Uh, Very fair to say. 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty easy to understand that with what you've explained. And by the way, I, I want to just really I, I really appreciate your your objectivity and your nuance. It's it seems absent in these conversations today. So, you know, in, in the carbon, con- anything, everything we're talking about today, it's clear that like you pointed out, you're not left, right, kind of, you know, there, there's so many couched conversations out there today. It's just refreshing to talk to you about this. So I appreciate you bringing that to the table. Thank you, Dan. I really I hope people check out the rest of your work because that's exactly what you'll find. So um, I, I'd like too. to. I'd like, thank you. I'd like to jump over to the COVID-19 to kind of finish this up. I think that's just absolutely important to think about. We talked about the nanotechnology part of it, the smart dust part of it, the, you know, in general, the very obvious possibility that something else could have been released all this time. And then we begin the COVID-19 discussion. And there's been a lot of talk about this. Like I I've brought up the, you know, not to say that I have evidence that this is happening or not, but the discussion of things like self-spreading vaccines, for example, that have been around for a very long, at least the conversation of them, the research for a very long time. And whether or not that's something that could have happened during this, that's not what I want to get into. I want you give me your evidence and your discussion about what you said that you, you said you found COVID-19 particles or in something you were testing. Go ahead and go into that for me. Italian researchers have. They okay. found CV-19 particles attached to airborne particulates. We have the world's second most recognized climate engineer, Dr. Ken Caldera, former U.S. Department of Defense scientist, stating on the record, and we own that audio at geoengineeringwatch.org, of him stating in his own words that one of the things he did for the Department of Defense was to design ways of spraying pathogens into clouds to infect the populations below. Bill Gates now works directly for, or excuse me, Ken Caldera now works directly for Bill Gates. And Bill Gates called Ken Caldera his most amazing teacher. How old is that Pardon me? How old is that patent, the one you're referencing? How long has that been? Do you know, it's not, a, it's not a patent. It's it's what he did for the U.S. Department of Defense. Oh, do you That's, do you happen to know that when that was being done, or like when it began by by chance? Uh, well, certainly it's been going on forever. The fact that he acknowledges mm-hmm. he participated. In, our our audio is from about 2010 when he made that statement, somewhere in that range. But again, I, I mean, this is business as usual. The aerial dispersion of, of pathogens is certainly nothing new. And um, the fact that this particular scientist, though, acknowledged that that's what he did. And now he works for Bill Gates, we find of of particular interest. But why would we think they wouldn't do this? Those in power are well aware of the fact that the planet can no longer support populations. And and that's a given. I, I know I hear people talk about, Ryan, that we could all fit in the state of Texas and still have some elbow room left. That doesn't provide food, water, everything else we need to survive. There's now 8 billion of us here. And, and I know, again, people have been well-trained that if you, if you acknowledge a fact that the power structure is acknowledging, then you must be one of them. And I, I couldn't be more against everything that those in power represent, everything. They have done the most to create this situation. If anybody needs to walk the plank, it should be them first. Mm-hmm. But the fact is we're, we're in dire, a dire situation at this point, and that's going to become very, very evident as the days, weeks, and months go by back to COVID. Of course, they're trying to cull the herd. Of course they are. What would we expect them to do? Not that they have the right to do it, but they have, I would argue, been trying for a very long time to sicken and debilitate populations. I I do sabbaticals out in the remote wilderness so I can think at times and gather my thoughts. Ryan, I was on a very remote mountain in in a, a winter setting once and sitting on top of it alone at night, and I saw it just a, a, a... quirk of fate a large tanker came down over the top of me heading toward the the valley below of redding and there was a rare blanket of fog over that 
over the, the Reading uh, urban area. And that tanker was dumping. He was dumping something. I mean, it was a massive plume. He was about maybe 4,000 feet off the deck. And that is absolutely wrong. And it is absolutely not condensation. And the officially, the Reading residents have a, a MRSA rate. If you know what MRSA is, uh, it's, it's a very uh, antibiotic-resistant strain. 50, it's almost 50%, right? Mm-hmm. It's an epidemic. I mean, wh- where is this coming from? Mycoplasma, which is a military weapon, has that been being dispersed for how long? The seasonal flu, has that been being dispersed to get people to vax up? which has certainly been degrading populations for a very long time. We have the autism rate going from one in 10,000 in the seventies to one in 25 in boys recently. That's a 40,000% increase. Well, something's very wrong. So again, I would argue they've been degrading populations for a very long time, knowing this was coming. It wasn't happening fast enough. Biosphere collapse beat them to the intersection and they had to go to warp speed mode. And we know what that is, don't we? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, obvious that this is something that is it everybody seems to be aware that what they were stating is not actually what's happening now as as you pointed out before there's a lot of people that will come in with the kind of like obviously we're talking about depopulation right as the as the kind of a game here that's being played but but i think what people will come in with would be the idea that you know first of all people would argue well how do we know COVID 19 exists that's a fair statement to make but i think the point would be to argument the argument being that they're doing something that is being spawned and clearly it's hurting people. I just want to make that yes. easy for people to wrap their minds around because I understand the reluctance these days to, to, you know, step into some of these conversations, but it doesn't mean that we have to ignore what's what you can scientifically prove at this point, you know? And I think that's important yes. to see that something is being done. And I think I would argue that it's not, you referenced the 239 times discussion. I always reference that, that they're, they're provably 239 times over. Yes. I forget the time period where they've tested on Americans and, and, yes. and, and so it's not you could argue that what they're doing right there was more of a test than a calling at the very least. You know, there's different ways you could look at this, but it, we can see that this is something that's happening. And so if you can prove or if he stated on the record that they are doing this and then they can find that, I think the question needs to be whether or not it could be depopulation or it could just be some kind of a problem reaction solution, just like everything else we seem to see that drives us in the direction of their real big solution. Right. Which is kind of what I see this aiming and maybe give me your thoughts on that in the direction of the great reset, the transhumanism, transhumanism kind of a step. But a lot of these elitists kind of believe whether or not we see it, that they believe that. Right. So do you see any kind of an overlap there? Before you answer, one of my thoughts were that the you know, dimming of the sun kind of an idea is is something that leads in that direction of the transhumanist kind of mindset. So just wanted your thoughts on that. Certainly these agendas exist and there are many participating in them. But what I would argue again is all these agendas will be moot points. And even with many in the circles of the elite that believe in their arrogance and their hubris, that they can tech their way out of this, that they can go underground perhaps for a specific time and resurface later or whatever agendas they're carrying out now, those further down the tier of power, if you will, that are participating in these agendas none of which will mean anything on a planet that doesn't support life. So I would metaphorically relate that to the pirates on the sinking ship, filling their pockets with loot won't Mm. matter. Ships going down period. And they don't grasp that we're dealing with a cancer that is not coherent enough to understand it's killing itself at this point as a cancer does. I mean, cancers tend to proliferate unchecked. The host eventually dies. And that's exactly the path we are on. So again, 
whatever agendas they have, whatever objectives and whatever methods they're using, however valid the, the COVID pathogen is itself, or if it's something else, or as you correctly stated, things are happening here. Things are being done and they're having a very real effect and the trajectory is not hard to graph. If we remain on the current course, we are not going to be around much longer. And, and I, I just challenge people. To, I, I don't want to believe anything I state. I, I'm asking right. them to look, look at the data, look at the statistical trajectory, look around, look at how many bugs aren't on your windshield. When you drive up I-5 corridor here again, through the heart of the agriculture region in, in California, you used to have to station hop to clean your windshield from the bugs no more almost none and geoengineeringwatch.org we were we were the first major source to pr- announce that uh, over 10 years ago i believe in 20, 2011 in that range because of our work with forest service scientists and fish and game scientists that were willing to speak out we announced that there was a crash in terrestrial and aquatic insects and the climate science community tried to marginalize us in fact our we've had our website taken down for issues like that and the uv radiation information which we posted We've had to go to extra security, but to keep our site up. What do we see now? If your listeners search insect apocalypse, we see an acknowledgement from the science community that the insect populations are crashing around the globe. How long do we think we are going to survive when the insects can't even make it? Yeah. I mean, is this not called the, in this, those circles, the Anthropocene? Is that not like the general time frame? I mean, if, am I wrong in saying that? Is that like the sixth extinction kind of discussion? The Anthropocene, the age of man. Yes. And um, the sixth great extinction, which is not coming, it's not beginning. We're neck deep in it right now. And this extinction will include us if we continue on this course. So for the average person listening, what would you say that what what should be their immediate action? Right. Because, I mean, we've made it pretty clear here that the biggest problem is the solution being presented and and possibly the entire problem of why we're here not to diminish the fact that human species is you know being negligent with the planet and i've made that point every time we ever talk about climate discussions but so what should the average person do in this position you know uh, go ahead it's so key i mean that is that is so key to all of this because many people can feel so overwhelmed that they don't know where to start or what to do and, and empowerment comes with starting with waking those up around you and and creating that form of synergistic motivation, if you will. And that's best done by sharing credible data from a credible source. You don't drag them out in the street, point at the sky and start ranting about things that maybe people are not quite as familiar enough with to do. And and even then, even if you were, a picture is worth a thousand words. A picture is a a much better key to the door. Uh, For example, the Many of the links we have at geoengineeringwatch.org, again, we're non-political. There's no advertising on the site. We have links of satellite imagery that you don't need to know anything about meteorology to look at and know that is wrong, absolutely wrong. And if you share that type of data with people, we have printed materials as well that we pass on for less than our cost to get them into circulation. If you can pass something like that onto someone or give them a link or the copy of, to the dimming, and let right. that sink in. It has to sink in. You can't plant the whole oak tree in one sitting. They, they can't chew it. Um, the, this is a complete overturning of people's perception of reality. But if you, if you plant a seed and they begin now especially to see how, how often the skies are plastered and how little blue sky they see and the, how off the weather is, those seeds are beginning to sprout now, Ryan, very quickly. Seeds that we've sown 10, 15 years ago at GeoWatch, we're, we're hearing responses from now finally. So share credible data from a credible source and let the seed sink in. 
If someone doesn't want to hear at that point, you move on to someone else. You don't beat your head against the same wall over and over and over. That doesn't go anywhere. Let the seed right. sprout on its own. But if we can raise these spot fires of awareness and we can stoke those fires and those fires begin to merge into a larger and larger blaze that can't be put out, we could put this issue on the radar. And if we can do that, Ryan, again, if we had populations around the globe brought to the understanding that they've been exposed to this grand and lethal experiment without their knowledge or their consent, I would argue we could absolutely cause a shockwave. And, and that's worth fighting for. If we can salvage any part of the planet's remaining life support systems and anyone can make it through what's coming, that is worth all of our effort and energy till our last breath. Hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. Well said. I think if, if somebody wants that kind of information, I'll again, make sure you go to geoengineering watch in general, because as I said before, you know, it, just like you just heard him say, it is sourced data that you can prove that you can reference. And I love your, I love, I'm glad you referenced the seed analogy. It's what I use every time you need to plant these seeds in people. But the moment they start pushing back, getting all red faced and screaming, just walk away. Yes. Right. But circle yes. back in a week and in a month and, and water yes. that seed. Right. Hey, did you look at this data? Oh, okay. I'll come back later. You know, and, and just keep trying yes. because you're right. The more you try and the more information, eventually it will sprout. And I think we're, we're watching that everywhere. And I think that's what they're most concerned about. So thank you for being here today. And I think this is an important conversation to add some nuance to the, to the discussion for people that are kind of left and right about it. You know, it's either real or it's not, it's fake or it's real. And I think that's this problem today is that we lose the picture, the forest for the trees. When we try to nail it down on one side or the other, it's usually somewhere in the middle, the nuance. So I appreciate your time and your objectivity. Anything you want to leave us with today for links, upcoming events? Just my gratitude, Ryan. Thank you very much for all your work. Thank you for adding your voice to this most critical fight on climate engineering and all, all you've done along the way. And without people like you to help us to sound the alarm and rattle cages, um, we would not yet be heard, but it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to march with you in this battle, Ryan. Well, thank you, Dane. That really means a lot to me coming from you and let's keep it up. And hopefully everybody watching will continue to fight and share the information and make sure you check out his site as well. And as always, everybody out there question, everything come to your own conclusions, stay vigilant.